and bonjour all you gardening cats and gators. Welcome to Gardening with Cisco on October 6th. So uh, thanks a lot for tuning in. Might get a nice day today. Uh, hey, we've, we needed rain, but we've had enough now. <laughs> hey, okay, I'm going to introduce a guest in just a second. Before I do, I want to say uh, hi to everyone who came to uh, the Rainscaping Expo over in Everett at McClellan Park. At McClellan Park. I'll tell you what, that was one really well-organized, wonderful event. So many good speakers. I had a nice-sized crowd for my talk and just had a really good time. So, uh, yeah, that was nice. People were learning to garden without, you know, they're doing rainscaping, they're gardening without using pesticides. It's a great thing. What can you say? Hey, I just reminder, I'm going to be at the Snohomish Garden Club this Monday. That's October 8th, so it's uh, not very far from now. And I'll be there at 7.30 p.m. And uh, so uh, I'll be talking about my favorite plants. It's at the Snohomish Senior Center. I'll tell you about other talks I'm doing after I introduce my guests. So right now I want to introduce uh, Kate Ryan. Hey, Kate, thanks a lot for coming on the show today. Well, thank you very much for having me. I really am looking forward to talking with you. Oh, this is too cool. So you're the Agriculture Program Coordinator for WSU Snohomish County, and you folks have something really cool that you, uh, you've you been doing it now for a couple of years called Grow Your Own Groceries Educational Series. Uh, so who is this for? It is for anybody that has uh, an interest in growing their own food. We've designed the series to be uh, kind of an all-encompassing. If you don't know anything about uh, growing food at all, we encourage you to take all 10 classes that we have. Uh, and a lot of folks that we have are very beginning, new folks, never grown before. Or maybe they've grown in other areas and moved to the Northwest and discovered how unique and challenging it can be here. Uh, and in other cases, we have folks that have gardened around here for a number of years, and they're just, uh, as so many of us are, always figuring there's something new I can learn to do things a little bit better. So we have a wonderful mix of folks in our classes. Yeah, it sounds really fun and like really great classes. And uh, they're held on evenings from 7 to 9.30 at the WSU Snohomish County Extension uh, Auditorium, their Cougar Auditorium uh, in McCollum Park, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's just right off of I-5 in South Everett, so it's pretty easy to get to. And uh, classes are always on Wednesday evenings, as you said, 7 to 9.30 p.m. And we try to have one every two, three weeks. A couple of them are back-to-back, depending on on the timing of the year. Uh, But we start off uh, here on October 17th with uh, the first section of Healthy Soil Equals Healthy Plants. Boy, that's probably the most important one right there, you know. Healthy Soils. We figure that healthy soil is such an important uh, part of gardening, whether it's growing food or anything else, that uh, we spend actually two evenings talking about it. So the first evening 
that we start off, we talk about just the basics of what is soil, what is good soil, how do you get it, uh, how do you add fertility, uh, how do you even know what fertility you need. We talk about soil testing. And one of the things that we encourage folks to do that come to that first class is to bring a soil sample with uh-huh. them. Uh, we give them instructions when they register for the class, so it's pretty easy to do. And then we send those off to a lab, and by the second session that we have on November 7th, uh, where we do part two of our soils classes, we have all the results back for everybody's soil test, and we go through interpreting, well, what does this mean? What should I be doing? Uh, what does it tell me going forward? And then we spend a good hour or more talking about making and using compost, which to me is the most basic and wonderful of things that you can always add to a garden. Yeah, when you make your own compost and it's really good, I don't know, you put your hand in there and you smell it, it just smells wonderful. It's a great product. I think that's really cool how you're doing the soil test too. So, uh, that, cause it's so important to start out with good soil. It's really difficult to have a, to grow good plants if you don't have good soil. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I've seen this so many uh, times folks get very discouraged from uh, early attempts at gardening if they haven't, and I will count myself among them, if you didn't have a good understanding of what fertility meant. And it's not very complex, it's just kind of the same thing about, well, we have to feed our children to grow, and the better the food is that we feed our children, the better they grow and the healthier they are. Exactly the same thing with plants, you just have to know what's food for them and how to provide it. And so we go through that, and you find out that it's not that complicated. And uh, like you said, good compost is one of the best things you can always be doing to create healthy plants and healthy soil. So you're, so there's, how many classes are there all total? There are 10 classes in the series. It goes through April 10th uh, of next year is the, the last one. So we try to time it so that what we're talking about will be things that you will be wanting to think about or do or plan for coming up. And uh, so we talk about uh, the first thing that we cover after we've gone through soils in January. We talk about all of the things you need to know about planning the garden ahead, whether it's, you know, strategies for hardscaping and where you're going to put your irrigation system if you're going to have one to uh, making a good uh, rotation map so that you've always got different families growing in different spots to stay ahead of pests and diseases, and you know, how to make a succession plan so that you can make the most amount of growing happen in the least amount of space. Yeah. And so we do that, and then we get right into the rest of the classes. are all about how to grow the different vegetables, uh, families, and small fruits. Yeah, it's, it's really a great program. I'm quite impressed. And uh, hey, who teaches these classes? We have a bunch of different folks that come in. We have several uh, WSU folks that come in and talk about the soils and, and techniques for uh, raising fruits and whatnot like that. And I teach a few of the classes along with a couple of the folks that have been with me pretty much just since the beginning of these, uh, the whole concept of growing groceries started, I think it was almost seven years ago now when we first put this together. And uh, we're all just very passionate food gardeners. 
and uh, willing to wanting to share how easy it is once you just know a few things about what to do out there based on what kind of a site you have and what your interests are. And we always have a delightful group of folks that come. And by the end of it, um, most folks tend to take the whole series. They actually become kind of a cohort of friends at that point. Oh. <laughs> and I think occasionally there are some friends that go, oh, let's, let's swap vegetable seeds and I'll come and help in your garden if you oh. help in mine. And, and it's neat to see that kind of community happening uh, just through a simple series of classes. Well, and so there is a charge for these. We've got to make sure people know that. Yes, yes, there is. Um, it's, uh, if you take the whole uh, series, it's uh, $175, or they're uh, $20 a, a session per person. So and you can sign up for as many or as few as you want, just depending on what your interests are. Well, my wife, Mary, must have been really impressed with your program because it's not often she puts the whole nine yards right on the front page of Cisco.com. So <laughs> she's got when every class is being held. very flattered. <laughs> you should be. I'll tell you what. Yeah, so you can find out all about this just by going to Cisco.com. And we have links right to the uh, educational series there. And um, just a wonderful program, a chance to... Uh, rub shoulders with other people excited about growing vegetables and it'll make it so much easier for you yeah especially if you're not already an expert even if you are i have a few and you'd learn quite a bit from taking these courses so uh kate i so much appreciate your coming on today and telling us about this i think it's really cool well, you're very welcome, and I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much, Cisco. Okay, I'll probably see you out there at uh, up out in McCollum Park one of these days. Well, I certainly hope so. The gardens out there are absolutely delightful this time of year, especially. Yeah, it sure is. Well, thanks again, Kate. All Take- right. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. All right. Hey, when we come back, uh, hey, I'm flying solo today. You want to call, you'll get your uh, question answered. one 973 cairo one 973 And when we come back, I'll just tell you about a few things going on out there, including some more talks that I'm doing. You know, I'm always doing a talk somewhere. And, uh, and then we'll see what happens from there. 97.3 Cairo FM. We have callers, so I'm going to very quickly just tell you where I'm going to be. So, remember, I'll be at the Snohomish Garden Club on October 8th. That's this Monday at 7.30. And uh, I'm going to talk about my favorite plants. There's some pretty cool ones in there. A few stories, and I'll give away a Gardening with Cisco t-shirt, a book, and some plants, maybe. Hey, uh... But definitely, I'll be at the Federal Way Composting and Gardening event on October 13th. It actually starts at noon, but I speak at 2 p.m. And uh, I'm going to talk about fall gardening tips, using compost. I'm going to give away a few plants, a T-shirt, 
And uh, that's at the Federal Way Community Center. So that's next Saturday. And then next Saturday, I'm going to fly from there (laughs) back to North Seattle Community College, where we're going to be having plant amnesty, tree hugger, bingo. And uh, so the doors open at 6, free uh, chili. Uh, There's a charge to get to come and buy all your, you know, uh, bingo cards and everything. But then uh, free chili, free cake. We have multiple winners for each uh, game, you know, so it's uh, quite a bit of fun. And we're going to give away some incredible plants. I've been looking at what we're giving away, and there's some good ones in there, to say the least. And uh, at the end, if there's plants left over, uh, those get sold. So it's it's quite a fun event. I hope you come. And, of course, there's wine and, and beer there, too, wine and brewski. <laughs> All right. Hey, I will tell you more about uh, things that are going on in between. But right now, I want to talk to Diane in Woodenville. Hey, Diane, how you doing? I'm good. Hey, Cisco, you are one of a kind. Oh, la, la. <laughs> Thank hey, you. We have, on our property, we have a Kwanzaa cherry tree that we planted probably about 18 years ago. It's big, huge, full-size blooms in the spring, and then shortly after, half the leaves turn brown. I'm told by several arborists that I've had work for me with great success that they just say there's nothing that you can do about this brown rot that all the ornamental cherries get, and that's just the way it is. Is that really true? Nothing to do to fix it? (laughs) It's not true at all, actually. Uh, Okay. You know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, yeah. It's a fungus disease. It attacks through the flowers. And... uh, so we had it at Seattle University because we had a billion ornamental cherries there when I worked there for 24 years. And uh, so if you want to prevent it, you could do it, but the sprays have to be timed really well. There are sprays. It's like the dogwood thing, the, the, not the Kusa dogwood, but the other flowering dogwoods that I hear you talk about. Yeah, it's kind of like that. It's a different fungus. So uh, this fungus um, is specific to uh, uh, stone fruit. So just about every kind of stone fruit does uh, gets it. Akibano and Yoshino cherries are the only ones that are immune to this disease. All other cherries seem to get it. So Mount uh, Fuji also? Yeah, yeah, Mount Fuji gets it. Not a whole lot, but it definitely can get it, and we got it on it. So, and, you know, it's really a pain because you get all those dead branches in your cherry, and you can prune those off, and it's not going to kill the cherry. Although, if it gets it really bad, some years they get it way worse than others because if the temperature's right and it's raining in spring, right when the cherry blooms, uh, then it can get it really bad, and it almost looks like it kills your tree. But uh, Yep, it does it every year. We've yep. been, for years, this has been going on, and I mean, I keep saying, I'm going to get that tree out of there and just remove it, but I hate to do it. Yeah, it's a tough decision. I mean, sometimes that's well, What do you a, use? What do you spray it with? Okay, there's a number of different sprays, and you want to kind of rotate your sprays every year that you use. So you might buy two of them, let's say. So I would go to, uh, you know, a good 
garden center. And tell them, hey, I got brown rot. They also call it blossom blight on cherry. And they'll find something that's labeled for that that's safe for bees. And uh, and most anything you'd spray for that disease is safe for bees because, you know, cherry growers are using that that are growing cherries for us to eat, you know, and they don't want to hurt bees. So uh, here's what you have to do. Once you get that stuff, you have to spray right when you see the very first color in the flower bud because this is all through flowers. So the minute you see that color starting to show in the flower bud, even before it opens, you have to get a spray on there. Then you want it, and it shouldn't be raining out when you do it if you can find a day, which takes a lot of luck. If it's raining lightly, you're all right. The second spray has to be at full bloom. So right when it's at full bloom, the third spray you try and get on right as the flowers start to fade. If you get all three uh, sprays on in a timely fashion, you won't get any brown rot at all. Okay. And this is, you have to spray the entire tree, not just the blossom. Yeah. Yeah. You got to really hit the entire tree. I mean, because, you know, it's going to be covered with buds and you got to spray, you got to get them all. Yeah. It's a real pain. Um, Can you recommend professional service to do that? Well, I think what I would do is I'd call a bunch of services and I'd say, look, you know, I know that if this spray doesn't get done right on time, that it's not going to work. So can you guarantee you could do that for me? Because, you know, that's hard for them to time that, right? And you might have to make a deal. I'll call you and uh, you have to come out and do it right after I call, something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Sounds I, complicated. It okay. is. You may end up getting a different tree. <laughs> I have to run, Diane, but I hope that's okay, some thank help. You. Thanks mm-hmm, so thanks. much. I appreciate your call. <clears throat> Bye-bye. All right, right back, 97.3 Cairo FM. Oops, I forgot. This wasn't the very start of the show there. <laughs> Well, welcome to the second half of Garden with Cisco. And uh, Judy, we're going to go to you in one second. I do want to let people know that Freeway Estates Community Orchard is having their eighth annual Cider Fest. And that's today from 2 to 5 p.m. It's at 6th Ave Northeast, just north of Northeast 60th Street on the west side of I-5. So we're going to have free cider for everybody, plus uh, pie slices. And if you'll fork out a couple of bucks, uh, bring your tools, and they'll sharpen them up for you for a little donation. So bring your kids. They're going to enjoy this quite a bit. The other thing I want to let you know, the Hardy Plant Society of Washington 8th Annual Fall Bulb and Plant Sale is coming up. It's Sunday, October 14th at 10 to 2 at the CUH, the Center for Urban Horticulture. And uh, they have every kind of bulb you ever wanted, a lot of rare ones. I'll have a guest on the show uh, before that happens, but that's Sunday, October 14th. But right now, let's go talk to Judy in Federal Way. Judy, thanks so much for giving me a call. Hi, guten talk, Cisco. Hey, how are you? Hey, very good. Thank you. It's always a thrill and joy to talk to you. 
Um, have a question about Arbor Vitis. Okay. Um, we had, well, we have a few. They're kind of a privacy there with our neighbor. Uh, why do their leaves turn brown? Uh, not their leaves, their, yeah, their needles and everything. Lack of water or? Well, it's hard to say. Are, are, so uh, are all the arborvitaes, do they all look the same or are some more brown than others? They, no, it was just one in particular. Okay. They're, and, they're, you know, we have a watering system, but perhaps that wasn't enough in the heat of the summer. Well, you know what happens a lot? You get a watering system going, but uh, let's say one sprinkler gets clogged up or has a problem. A lot of times you yeah. don't realize or another plant's blocking the water. And so sometimes what happens is they don't get any water at all, and you think they're getting it. So it's it's always a good idea to go out a couple of times, you know, once maybe every month and just check to make sure the sprinklers are all working right. So okay. that's one possibility. The other is that it might be a low spot or something that you can't really tell. And if the soil's kind of heavy, then all the water runs into that low spot. And then the, op- the exact opposite happens. That plant that's kind of in a low spot where the water collects, the roots can rot from that. So it could be either. It takes, you you have to be the detective over there, you know. (laughs) Maybe uh, after you water next spring, you could dig in and see, you know, oh my gosh, this spot is drenched or it's dry as a bone. That'll give you a lot of uh, ideas. It'll really help you figure out what to do. I assume that good drainage is important, too. I do have some clay soil that yeah. may be up in that area. Could that be an issue? Oh, it sure could. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, you know, arborvitaes, they like moisture, but they hate clay soil. And if the water doesn't drain, that often ends up, you get root rots going, and uh, you can get a really bad disease called Phytophthora that can build up where the, the water doesn't drain very well. And if you get yes. that, then that can spread from plant to plant. That can be a problem. So, uh, and you know, it's hard to solve problems like that. It, if you have heavy clay soil, you know, unless you're going to dig the plant up and put it up on a berm or something, the only thing you could do is just try and water really carefully so that the water doesn't build up, but they get adequate water, and that can be difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And what about shade or sun, or if they're shaded by another uh, fir tree, large tree? They don't is like that a problem? That's a big problem. They hate shade. They <laughs> Ar- need the sunshine. Yeah, arborvitaes are a sun-loving plant, and they tend to start dropping their needles a lot if they're not getting adequate sun. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Okay, and what about the quality of those that you might find at Costco, the Arborvitae? Well, I don't know, to be honest. I've never bought one at Costco's. But uh, I think the key thing is, you know, first of all, you want to kind of make sure that whoever's taking care of them at whatever store you get them at, that they're being watered regularly and... um, that they're not root-bound, you know, because, you know, sometimes it just depends on who's taking care of them. Sometimes 
people aren't watering real careful, you know. And if, if it's someone who doesn't know anything about plants, they may just be shooting by the plant, giving it the quickest drink of water in the world. And, and that can mean that when you buy that plant, it's not healthy. It's already under stress. So I usually, a trick I do sometimes, if I'm going to buy a lot of them especially, I'll pop one out of the pot just when no one's kind of looking. <laughs> just hit it on your knee, pull the plant out, and see if it's just so root-bound and it's like a rock. But if it's got, you know, nice amount of roots and, you know, the soil's okay in there and everything then, and the plant looks real healthy, then I think, yeah, you're probably getting a good plant. Okay, super. Should I be fertilizing them at all? You know, you can buy those fertilizer stakes that you pound into the ground. Yeah, I'm not crazy about those. You know, okay. I think I think if we're me, if you want it to grow fast, what you could do, if they're growing fine, you don't even need to fertilize them. But if they're if they're not growing fast enough to give you privacy or anything, you can give them organic uh, lawn food. And organic lawn food is really high in nitrogen, so it promotes fast growth. At the same time, though, it has to be uh, eaten or, you know, yeah, basically eaten by the little microorganisms and other organisms in the soil before they become active and the plant can use it. So you won't burn your plant by using organic fertilizer. It's definitely the way to go. So I do that to some of my plants. Like, you know, I have those hardy bananas. I want those to be really big and showy every year, you know. So wow. I I give them organic lawn food and stand back because they'll knock you over as they start to grow, you know. <laughs> so it's pretty great. Okay, awesome. Am I allowed one more quick question? Ah, we being sure, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Anyway, the plant classes that are being offered, you mentioned, I think it was your first call, Up in Everett. Yeah. Do you know of anything kind of a little closer to Federal Way down south here? Well, I don't. Uh, I don't know of any uh, big uh, vegetable growing thing down there right now. I know that I'm going to be down there, um, which is I think is going to be a pretty nice composting and gardening event. I haven't looked at that. If you look at that website, and it's right if you go to uh, Cisco Talks. Okay. Uh, you know, so go to uh, Cisco.com and then hit the Talks button. And uh, okay. then you'll have a link you could press on there. And that'll tell, I'm sure it'll tell all the different talks they're having during the day. It starts at noon. I'm probably the last speaker at 2 o'clock. So, okay, uh, Federal Way. Ah, yes, okay. Yeah, so it's at the Federal Way Community Center. And that's uh, next Saturday. Correct. Yes, okay. Okay, well, we'll look for you there then, Cisco. Cool. Well, hey, say hi to me if you come, okay? Okay, yes, yes. Danke schön. Hey, danke schön. Thanks so much. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Ciao. Bye-bye. <laughs> See you later. All right, listen, I think we'll go ahead and take a break. I have time for one caller if uh, anybody wants to call in. Otherwise, I have a really interesting uh, email that I have. So uh, either way, we'll keep a chatting away and we'll be right back on 97.3 Cairo FM.
Okay, we're in the last little section of the show, and it was something I wanted to mention. Uh, last week, someone asked about uh, Icelandic uh, poppies. And, you know, I said, I think they don't last very long. And uh, I kind of said, maybe, you know, try the seeds. Uh, you know, she had mainly seeds, so, uh, you know, sow those in the spring. Well, I got an email from Christy, and basically she said that uh, since 2005 over on Bainbridge Island, they've come up every year in her garden. Uh, every year, and so I'm sure that they're seeding themselves. It's not just that they're surviving all those years because uh, they're very short-lived, but I think they're seeding themselves. So uh, so if you have the right conditions, Icelandic poppies will uh, last for years for you. She said for a while she got kind of tired of them. <laughs> she had too much of a good thing, but now she really loves them. And uh, so she has... Uh, kind of um, really a real gravel-type garden, and they love that. So I think the key is going to be really well-drained soil for Islandic uh, poppies to keep producing year after year. So that's one thing I wanted to say. And, Christy, thanks so much for that. So uh, the other thing that I got an email from Wendy, and uh, what she said is— she had uh, she lost a really beautiful um, Japanese maple to verticillium, which is a soil-borne fungus disease. And I don't know if you've ever had that, but it's really horrible. I've had it. In one of my gardens, I have it quite bad. And uh, what you get is um, you start seeing branches die. Usually, this is the way it works in your, uh, your Japanese maple. So you're going to see, you know, one branch die, and the leaves stay on, but it's dead. You know it is. So you cut that off, then pretty soon another branch dies, then another one. And, you know, some years you get like one or two dead branches, and the rest are fine and do really well. And then the next year, you know, all of a sudden maybe more of them start to die, or you get one died, and that's all. And then one year they're all dead. The whole tree just dies suddenly. So what it is, it's this uh, fungus disease. It's called verticillium. And what it does is it just slowly but surely uh, gets into the root system and it totally destroys its ability to uh, pick up water. And so it, it slowly but surely kills the roots and the whole water moving, uh, you know, uh, all that stuff. <laughs> so here's the thing. Uh, it, once it gets it, it's pretty hard to save a Japanese maple. If you've got lots of these dying branches and you can cut into a branch and, you know, just kind of cut into it uh, with a long cut. And if you see black in the uh, inside the water moving uh, processes, then you know that you've got this disease. And so if you've got that, it's, you know, it's pretty much you're going to lose your, your Japanese maple. It doesn't always kill it. And I think really careful watering can help. But the thing is that uh, Olaf Ribeiro, Ribeiro, he wrote a great book 
and did a lot of research on how to fight uh, this disease. And what he found with verticillium wilt is that adding compost into the soil, uh, and, you know, I'm not sure how much, but it has to be very high-quality compost. That really, what it is, it's full of all of these uh, 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 living critters that are in the soil. And so what they do is they fight a battle with the bad guys that are in the soil. And it really can work. So uh, the thing that you have to do, though, usually if you're going to pull out a Japanese maple, what you want to do is uh, be really careful when you dig it out and make sure you don't drop the soil as you're carrying the dead plant or the, the injured plant or diseased plant across the landscape because that will spread verticillium wilt all through your garden. So be really careful if you have to dig one out, maybe put it in something so that there's no way you're going to you know, drop any on the soil. And then what I recommend is add compost, high-quality compost, uh, throughout the whole area. And then also I really recommend, in, in this case, using uh, wood chips, from the arborist to use as a uh, uh, you know a, a cover for the plant. So if you do that, I think your chances of keeping uh, verticillium wilt from attacking your next Japanese maple, you probably could plant one. Be careful, not don't overwater it. Make sure you've got well-drained soil, and I think that you can actually grow. Uh, another Japanese maple, or other plants that are susceptible. If not, then uh, you want to do a little search on verticillium wilt and find out plants that are more resistant to that and plant that. Okay, well, listen, I hope I see a lot of you uh, tomorrow uh, or Monday over at uh, Snohomish Garden Club. That's going to be a lot of fun. Or next Saturday at my gardening event over in Federal Way. Or Tree uh, tree Hugger Bingo. (laughs) Hey, see you next week. Bye.